So again, verses three through eight, we're really just looking at this prayer of thanksgiving. There's brothers and sisters in Christ that Paul has been mindful of as he's writing this letter, imprisoned, reflecting back on all that the Lord has done through this church, their relationship with the Apostle Paul. And he has shared just this deep affection that he has for the church in his heart. Every prayer that Paul has for this church, he's remembering this church, remembering individuals, remembering ways that they have partnered with him in the gospel. And ultimately, this was a joyful reflection that Paul had as he thought back on and reflected on in the exercise of prayer on relationships and people. And last week we were challenging us to to model the same thing that Paul did, that through the, the ministry of prayer, we can strengthen our relationships with each other. There's a depth of unity that is achieved when we remember each other in prayer. This is one of the greatest ways that we can build and strengthen relationships within the body of Christ is that we pray for one another. And so we hit the pause button at verse number eight there. And now we're going to be looking at verses nine through 11. Let's read just those those few verses, uh, just so it's fresh in our mind as, as we jump into the exposition this morning. Verse number nine. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is exfilled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Ask the Lord's blessing on our time. God, I just pray that you would meet with us now. Even as Pastor Dave has already prayed, that you would stir our hearts, that your word would would fall on, on fertile ground. That we as hearers of your word would be attentive. That we'd be quick to hear your word. That we'd be quick to respond to your word. I pray that you would give me clarity to communicate what you would have and nothing more. That your Holy Spirit would take your word and change us to be more like Jesus Christ. I pray as we are mindful of the gospel once again in this opening passage that Jesus Christ, his life, his ministry, his gift of salvation through the giving of his own life, that these realities, these precious realities of the gospel would just ring true in our heart. And that as we reflect on how we can partner together in this same gospel, now thousands of years later, that we uh, can be partakers of that same grace that Paul was expressing to his original readers. What an incredible privilege it is to have your word this morning, to look into it and to consider its implications on our lives. So I pray now that you do that work that I cannot do. We pray these things in your name. Amen. This church at Philippi, they were just that. They were partakers with Paul of God's grace. I didn't have an opportunity for sake of time last week to really dive into this, but the theme of our series is partnering in the gospel. 
right? And so I want to make note on, on the onset here of, of why that theme is, is so critical. And we see this in this opening prayer actually twice. We see in verse number five, this, this term partnership. And then in verse number seven, we see this term partakers as the English standard version has translated. And both of these words, partnership and partakers are going to come from this same Greek word of, of koinonia. You've heard us use this Greek word in sermons past, but, but what's, the, what's the idea of, of this partnership and this partaking? It is describing one who participates with another or one that has an association involving close mutual relations and involvement. There's involvement in participation. There's active participation on part of this partnership and partaking together with one another. So this was the church at Philippi. They were partners and partakers with Paul in the gospel. Thus the theme of our series, partnering in the gospel. And our prayer as elders is that we will get a God-sized vision for what it looks like for us, not just this church, but what it looks like for us here at Liberty Hills Bible Church to partner together with this same gospel in the year of our Lord of 2022. Loved deeply by Christ in the gospel, we are called to love others around us more and more until the Lord comes again. I'll read that one more time just to let this core thought, this big idea sink in as we we dive into the exposition this morning. Because we have been loved deeply by Christ in the gospel. Are you thankful for that reality this morning? That we have been loved deeply by Christ. There has been nothing that has been left undone. Christ has loved us deeply and completely and that work is done only through Jesus Christ. And so it goes on, and as such, we are called to love others around us more and more until the Lord comes again. So we see this shift in verse number nine, the the beginning verse of of the text that we're going to look at this morning. This is a shift away from a prayer of thanksgiving, and now Paul enters into a very purposeful and direct season of intercession. So we have at the first part of this prayer that Paul is just saying, hey, I'm I'm just thankful, Lord, for this church in these different ways. Thankful for the gospel. Thankful for Christ exalted. Their union in Christ that they share collectively together. And now in verse 9, Paul is going to shift to intercession directly to the Lord on behalf of the church at Philippi. Similar to verses 3 through 8, if you'll remember, we noted this. Verses 9 through 11 are one ongoing thought. So we actually have two sentences in this opening prayer. Verses 3 through 8 and then another sentence in verses 9 through 11. And all your your grammar lessons are coming up about run-on sentences. Apparently that wasn't a big deal in the original Greek, right? But uh, uh, we're just going to look at this, this one ongoing thought of intercession that Paul prays to the Lord on behalf of this church at Philippi. We're going to look at just three core elements of this abounding prayer that he has that the church would abound in love more and more. The first point we're going to look at is this. We're going to look at the petition of the prayer, verse number nine. Verse number nine, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all 
discernments. Um, you'll notice if you were at the workday yesterday that we were one short in our family. Olivia uh, stayed with my mom, uh, grandma out in Odessa for the weekend. Uh, we picked her up uh, yesterday evening and uh, Olivia came back with, I don't know if it was a gift or something that my mom had picked up for her and it was such a blessing when grandmas give their children some of these things, but it was kinetic sand. Um, and all the, all the parents out there know just what a blessing kinetic sand can be. And uh, just all the different places that it can go. It's, it just, if my mom ever listens to this message, mom, thank you for that. I really appreciate you passing that kinetic sand on. And so Olivia was there. She actually had two little containers of this kinetic sand. And of course, she was just thoroughly enjoying playing with this kinetic sand and all the colors are just beautifully, you know, blended together now as those, those two containers became one. And somehow one of the containers um, went missing. Okay, so now we have two containers worth of kinetic sand, but only one container to put all the contents into. And so the evening was coming to an end. It was time to clean up, take baths, get ready for, for Sunday morning worship. And uh, the instruction to Olivia was to, hey, let's clean up that kinetic sand that is everywhere. Okay, let's, let's, try, to, let's try to rain it all up together and, and let's, let's put it in this container. And she beautifully piled this kinetic sand, two containers into one, and was attempting to just get it all in there. And it was simply not working. It was in excess of that little container. This is the idea that Paul has in this passage here where Paul prays to the Lord. He says in verse number nine, and it is my prayer that your love abound. And that your love abound more and more. This is the idea of this word abound more and more. That it is in excess. It is overflowing. It can't be contained. There is too much love. It is available. And so this is the heart that Paul has for the church at Philippi as he intercedes directly to the Lord on their behalf whose prayer is that they would love and that it would abound. This has the idea in the original Greek that it was a degree which is considerably in excess. He's praying simply that their love would glow, grow, excuse me, and that their love would multiply. So in Paul's understanding of biblical love by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he knew that love would never be static. Love is, is not just this one-time stagnant pond type of idea that we see in Scripture that Paul's heart for them is that they wouldn't just love once, but they would love and keep on loving. And that it would grow. And that it would become multifaceted. They would love in new ways. And that their spiritual gifts would be deployed within the context of the body of Christ. And that there would be this radical move of love among them. So love would never be static. True, genuine, Holy Spirit-empowered love, it will always be dynamic. This is the intent and the purpose and the role of biblical love. It will grow 
This is his prayer for the church at Philippi. That this love would progressively abound more and more over time and it will be considerably in excess. This is Paul's petition. The Lord, what a picture this is of Paul's heart and his understanding of biblical love and his understanding of what love can do in the midst of a church, what love can do in the midst of a community. When we sell out to this idea of abounding more and more in our love and in our American culture, the society that we live in, and it's hard to get even people to acknowledge their neighbors more and more, let alone engage with them in a way that is loving and abounding more and more and more. It's hard enough to even know a first name, let alone build a relationship to the degree that we could, we could build bridges for the gospel through how we just serve them and love them and sacrificially give of our time. Sadly, in, in many churches, families, individuals can sit in a pew for years and decades while seemingly hiding in a corner never truly being known, never truly loving or receiving this type of abounding love that is more and more, that is considerably in excess. Can you imagine what God can do in our church if we get God's heart, Paul's heart, this petition to the Lord on behalf of the church at Philippi that we, as we bridge the gap of time and we consider its implications and applications to our life, that we too would be a church that would be known as a church that radically loves. That we would have the testimony in our community that we love and it abounds and it's more and more. Day over day, week over week, month over month, year over year, this community, our church, knows the love of Christ. It's on our lips. It's in our actions. It's in the partnership of the gospel. It's in works of service, good deeds, words of encouragement and affirmation, friendship, companionship, togetherness. We find those that are lonely and isolated and those are the ones we go to. Look, those that are struggling and without and we meet needs. This is what Jesus did, didn't he? He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And to give his life a ransom for many. We have the model of Jesus Christ who loved us in an abounding way more and more in excess. This is true for us. This is applicable for us even today. God calls us to have the same heartbeat to biblical love. And when you think about love, it really is one of the core distinguishing descriptors of biblical Christianity. It's what sets us apart from really all other, many other world religions. We aren't called to take up arms. We aren't called to wield a sword. We are called to lay down our rights and our desires and to serve others. Are the gold stands did. His life and ministry are the gold standard in this abounding more and more type of love. He did it perfectly, completely. So then, the impact of loving one another is, 
it's really twofold. When we consider this abounding love that we're called to more and more, we first have this internal implication of this verse, right? Within the body of Christ, but then also externally. We know that this extends into our gospel witness. Neighbors, coworkers, extended family. Love is what sets us apart. Love is what makes a difference. The world looking on and looking in and seeing us interact with one another. Loving each other sacrificially. Loving each other well. Loving each other without expecting anything in return. We're not talking about business networking. We're not talking about a you scratch my back, I scratch yours. We're not talking about, hey, I'll give you a referral as long as you give me. We're not looking at the secular idea of partnership and relationship. We're talking about, no, just giving of ourselves in an inconvenient, available type of way, expecting nothing in returns. John chapter number 13. You remember verse 34 and 35, a new commandment Jesus said, I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. John 15, verses 12 through 13, this is my commandment. Two times. Jesus says, this is a commandment. We need to to listen up to what Jesus Christ has to say. This is a commandment that he gives, that you love one another as how I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. 1 John chapter number 4. Verses 7 through 12, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. This is part of a, a validation of our faith in the Lord. Like this is God's grace working out from inward and expressing itself outward towards one another. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. The love of God, no doubt, is a core theme throughout the entire Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. Of all the things that Paul could have prayed to the Lord, In this moment, what did he pray? He prayed that they would abound in love. I love. We'll talk about this a little bit in A&I time, but what is it that's so significant about love? Love is the core message of the gospel. God is love. 
we just saw in, in 1 John chapter number 4. So the best way to imitate God and is to do what? Walk in love. Do you remember our series through the book of Ephesians? If we're going to accomplish our mission, you remember our mission to make mature followers of Christ to the glory of God, it must be achieved in large part by the testimony of our abounding love for one another. First Corinthians chapter number 13, I'm not going to have a lot of time to, to dive into uh, really the role and the beauty of biblical love, but, but jump into maybe that chapter this week, the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, and look at all the facets of love, the warnings that come that without love, just a clanging symbol. Without love, our message is not validated. Without love, our message isn't biblical. So Paul, when he prays specifically that their love would be seasoned with what? Two aspects, both knowledge and discernment. That their love would abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. First, knowledge. Paul prays that their love would abound more and more with knowledge. This love that Paul is praying that the church would have is an agape love. This is no shallow or cheap or blind love. It is informed. It is knowledgeable. It is informed by love. What? The love that they have received in Christ Jesus. So the idea of knowledge here comes from the Greek word gnosko. This is an experiential type of knowledge. Paul uses the same word in chapter 3, verse number 10. Do you remember this verse? That I may know Him, Paul said, and the power of His resurrection, and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. One commentator put it this way, knowledge of Christ will always multiply love. Knowledge of Christ will always multiply love. So this knowledge is one that is forged through a known experience of the love of God that we have received on our own behalf. It is an experience that has been formed through what? Interaction and time and relationship that affection that Paul has communicated to the church, it's remembering and reflecting on the affection that God has shown towards us through the personal work of Jesus Christ. So our love will abound more and more in knowledge. So as we know the Lord, we can love others in a very intentional and knowing way. This is the idea of discernment, the second descriptor of the love that Paul is praying for here. The ESV translates this word as discernment, but it can literally carry the idea of a depth of insight. This love that Paul is praying for, that they would abound more and more, he's praying that it would be insightful love, intentional love, purposeful love.
What does this mean? It means that our love is purposed and intentional. It is also specific and appropriate for that particular season or situation that the individual may be going through. Have you ever been on the receiving end of a, a, a ministry of love that just hit the nail on the head? It was just the right words that were spoken. It was just the right aspect of the relationship, whether it be availability or time or uh, just somebody ministered to you by, by helping you with uh, some aspect of your daily life. But somebody thought about you specifically. They knew what you were going through. And as a result, they ministered to you in a very knowing and discerning way, full of insights. And isn't that refreshing when you're ministered to in that way? Isn't that helpful and encouraging when somebody knows you to the degree that they can just come alongside and just have that ministry of presence? A loving and knowing and discerning way. Our love is informed with knowledge and discernment. So in this prayer, and as a reminder, Paul is causing us and reminding us that knowing Christ, he's calling us to remember this basic core thought that knowing Christ and understanding people are both necessary to love, excuse me, for love to abound more and more. Knowing Christ, understanding people, are both necessary for love to abound more and more. So the first aspect that we looked at of this prayer of abounding love is we looked at the petition of prayer. Our second point that we're going to look at this morning is the purpose of the prayer. The purpose of the prayer. Why are we to love in this way? Verse number 10, let's read it. So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. What purpose or end does it serve? I want to prove what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. The verb here in verse number 10, approve, it gives some good insights into what this is and also what it is not. The verb approve that is used here comes from the Greek word dokamazo which is to test, to approve. It can literally read, so that you may be able to discern what is best. So you may be able to discern what is best. So Paul's prayer for the church right here is that they would stay mission. That they would continue to partner with him in the gospel, that they would continue to be partakers with Paul in the grace that he had received, even in his imprisonment, even in the difficult circumstances of life, that they would stay on mission. So these words that are used here in verse number 10, they draw us to an understanding of focused engagement. In verse number 10, so that you may approve what is excellent. Focused engagement. I don't know about you, but as I read verse number 10, I can't help but think of Romans chapter number 12. Paul, there in that passage, 
describes a similar process. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern. There's that word, dokamazo. What is the will of God? Discerning. Being able to test and approve. Being able to determine what is best. Paul goes on to say, what is the will? What is good and acceptable and perfect? This is the idea. Paul is wanting them not to just settle for good things that they could be doing, but he's wanting them to stay engaged in the best thing, which is what? Partnering in the gospel. He's wanting them to stay on mission. Paul's desire is that coming, uh, th- that as he's reading this prayer, as he's communicating this prayer back to the Lord, as this letter is being read to the church at Philippi, that they would not allow other or lesser things that they could do to take priority over what partnering in the gospel. That they would simply keep the main thing, the main thing. I don't know about you, but... In the world that we live in, in this American Christian culture, we can get wrapped up in a lot of good, even distractions that can keep us from the main thing, which is making mature followers of Christ to the glory of God, to go and make disciples of all nations. The Great Commission. Guys, we're doing a lot of great things with the building. Remodeling a kitchen, that's going to be phenomenal. It's going to be such a blessing. Giving a facelift to the nursery, so exciting. Trying to wrangle that teen room down into something that might be a little bit more palatable. This is, these are fun and good things, but friend, none of these things can take the place of what? Us going and make, making disciples, partnering together for the sake of the gospel. None of those things replace that. So friends, even in the progress that we have and being good stewards of our building, friends, please hear me. I'm not taken away from the progress that we made on our great work day. It was all worth it. It was valuable. The Lord is pleased with those efforts, but none of those things replace us sharing the good news of Jesus in our home. None of us can replace with some other good thing the realities that God has called us to reach our neighbors and our co-workers and our extended family with the good news that Jesus saves. And so friends, let's be sure to recalibrate our hearts and recalibrate our minds so that we can live out the realities of this prayer that Paul has for the church at Philippi, so that you may approve what is excellent, discerning what is best, and so be pure and, bl- and blameless for the day of Christ. What is best? What is best is knowing Christ. And as we know Christ, we will live like Christ. And as we live like Christ, by His grace, we will love like Christ. And as we love like Christ, God will give increase and he will build his church. This is God's plan. Paul was constantly recalibrating his own thoughts and mind 
mindful of his own testimony. Philippians chapter number three, verses seven through eight. Paul said, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Don't you love that phrase, surpassing worth? I'll move on from that. We'll get to chapter three eventually. But our union with Christ and the partnership that we have in the gospel, it is priceless. It is best. This is what has the most value in our relationship with the Lord is knowing Him and making Him known. So then we are able, by God's grace, to approve what is excellent. But another purpose that Paul calls out here is that we would be pure and blameless. I like paragraphs down as we continue to work our way through this, this passage. Paul highlights this reality that some are preaching Christ out of envy and, and rivalry, which draws us in to understand this section as an opportunity for Paul to pray for the purity of motive for this church, that they may be pure and blameless. This word pure has the idea of of motive. We are above reproach. In the original Greek, this word pure has the idea of not causing an offense. Call them to be blameless, excuse me, is is that word there. Blameless has the idea of not causing an offense. At the end of the day, Paul desires for the church to have a purity of heart and motive and to be blameless in their testimony so that their partnership in the gospel would cause no hindrance for the gospel. So Paul prays that they would be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. We saw this phrase again up in our previous section uh, just a couple weeks ago. This is the second time again in just this opening prayer that Paul has recalibrated his readers to the reality of what? Eternity. This is what the day of Jesus Christ, the day of Christ is referring to. It is this reality that Jesus is coming again. And friends, we're not here to to stir us up and to leverage some emotional baggage so that you can make some decision for the Lord. That's not what we're about here at Liberty Hills Bible Church but we are about preaching the text as Paul communicated it. And Paul lived day in and day out in the reality of what? Eternity. That Jesus was was coming again. And that changed how Paul thought. That changed how Paul reacted. That changed his relationships. The reality of eternity and the imminent return of Jesus Christ that changed Paul's perspective on life. And so he prayed. He prayed that they would be pure and blameless at the day of Christ. He's praying that the church would abound in love more and more. Why? Because Jesus is coming again. There is a sobering sense of urgency that Paul draws us to reflect on with this phrase. 
Our lives, friends, truly are a vapor. Have we not seen that over the last couple years? So much loss of life, the fragility of our bodies. In a moment, our lives can be over. Are we? Are we abounding more and more in love? Are we pursuing purity? Are we blameless before the Lord? Friends, this isn't to stir us up to, up to make an emotional decision. These are the realities of life. Be holy as I am holy. This is what the, what, what, what the Word of God desires for our lives as believers, as Christ followers. Our lives truly are a vapor. They are short. And Paul continually lived in light of that reality. Lived in light of eternity. So we looked at the petition. We looked at the purpose. The third and final point that we're going to look at this morning is the product of the prayer. Verse number 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So what is the product or what is produced in a life that is abounding more and more in love? There's a fruit of righteousness. There's a fruit of righteousness. Do you remember the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians chapter number 5, Paul's letter to the church at Galatia, verse number 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Friends, just as there is the fruit of the Spirit, there is the fruit of righteousness that comes by whom? This fruit of righteousness comes through Jesus Christ. Just as the fruit that's described in Galatians chapter 5 comes through or by the Holy Spirit. I cannot produce the fruit of the Spirit in and of my own strength. I can't manufacture godliness in my own will or desires, the best that I can offer God in my own strength. Isaiah describes it as filthy rags. So only through Jesus Christ can there be a fruit that is produced within my life, this fruit of righteousness. This pure and blameless motive is partnering in the gospel, and it can only come through Jesus Christ. Paul ends then this opening prayer by reminding them of their dependency on the Lord. Hmm. I think it was just, did we just sing, Lord, I need you last week? Was that in our song set, Andy? That's what I thought. I thought it was fresh in my mind. What a beautiful song that is, right? For us to remember, Lord, I are to how easy it is and how quick we are to rely on our own strength, our own wisdom, our own plan, our own scheme, our own ideas. How we are so quick to be influenced by outside philosophies and ideas. Do you need to be reminded this morning of your dependency on the Lord? 
We cannot abound more and more. We cannot have knowledge and discernment. We cannot approve what is excellent apart from the Lord. One commentator said it well, the purity that is described here in verses 9-11, through the purity is not a moral achievement. It's not a feather in my cap. It's not a box that's checked. Rather, it is a divine gift that only comes from the Lord, not produced in and of my own strength. So this purity is is not a moral achievement, but rather a divine gift. We are reminded of this simple but yet profound theological truth that comes out of the Reformation. Have you ever heard this phrase before? The faith that alone justifies does not remain alone. The faith that alone justifies does not remain alone. What does that mean? There is fruit for the one that has truly been justified by faith in Christ alone. There is fruit. There is growth. There is abounding more and more. But to what end? Friends, the Lord allows these elements to be present in our lives to the glory and praise of God. Solely the glory. To God be the glory alone. To the glory and praise of God. I love Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It was just a few weeks ago, uh, my dad's headstone was finally placed out at the, uh, the cemetery there. And on the back of uh, the, the memorial, the headstone there, uh, we have verses, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Those were my dad's favorite verses as he lived in reality of these his entire life, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. Verse number 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and do what? Glorify your Father which is in heaven. Ephesians 1, verses 11 through 12, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Paul is praying that his readers would find such immense and complete joy in the realities of the gospel, the person and work of Jesus. Jesus, friends, has come. Do you believe that this morning? Jesus Christ in the flesh has come, the long-awaited for. Messiah has perfectly fulfilled every single prophecy of the Old Testament. He lived a perfect life. Jesus Christ went to a cross. He shed his blood. He gave his life. He went to the grave and he defeated sin, death, and hell. And friends, these realities, the realities of the gospel can only be to the praise and glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So as we look at this opening prayer, this prayer of thanksgiving, this prayer of abounding love, Paul is drawing his readers to remember the joy that they have in the reality of the gospel. 
He's calling them to remember the joy that they have in partnering with him, even in his imprisonment, even in his persecution, that there's joy in having union with Christ. And it is only for his glory and for his praise. This morning, we've looked at the petition, the purpose, and the product of this prayer of abounding love. Would you join me in prayer as we bring our preaching time to a close and we consider what God is doing in our life through this text. Father, I pray that you would stir us toward love and good works. I pray that we would, as a church, outdo one another in showing honor, loving each other fiercely as you have loved us. Father, I pray that even as Paul prayed for the church at Philippi, that that prayer would be extended even to us in our day and that we would take heart and take note of Paul's prayer for the church as a whole. That we would abound in love more and more. That we would approve what is excellent. That our love would be informed by knowledge and discernment. There would be fruit of righteousness, not for a pat on the back, not for an attaboy, but Father, only for your glory and for your praise. You alone would be lifted high, even as we have sung this morning. You alone would be exalted. And as a result of us loving and pursuing each other in this abounding more and more type of love, that you would just, your name would be known among our community right here in Liberty, Missouri and to our extended communities. And as we leave this place, love would be on our mind. And that as you providentially bring others in our path, that we would be mindful and aware of opportunities to stop, to engage, and to meet needs. As we consider even internally those that may be hurting or struggling or be lonely or fighting alone, I pray that we would come alongside of them, get in the trenches, roll up our sleeves and go to battle on their behalf, even in prayer. And as we have just looked at this first opening prayer that Paul had in this letter to the church at Philippi, I pray that you would continue to do a work, that our church would be changed, that we would never be the same as a result of considering the teaching, the encouragement, as we consider the themes of joy and partnership, as we consider how we can, uh, can put this into application, as we consider the implications of this letter on our own life, Father, I pray that you would do an incredible work that only you can do. We pray these things.